Father, as the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we enter into this Lenten season, help us to see the whole of life, all of life, from the perspective you want us to see it, from the end to the beginning. Help us to see that it's, it's not the beginning of our story or the middle of our story that matters, but it's the, the end of our story that really most defines us so that we can, as you call us in the book of Revelation, endure to the end. That we would be with you to the end, knowing that you are with us to the end, that you've committed yourself to us in the end. Give us the heart of commitment that you have for us. Help us to respond to you in the same in the same spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. When I look to the heavens and the works of your hands, the moon and the stars that you've made, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you're mindful of him? This is the question that David asked in Psalm chapter 8, as he peers out to a seemingly infinite cosmos and glances back at himself, it raises this fundamental question of human identity. Not who am I, but what am I? What is man? What is a human being? And why on earth would God be mindful of us? Would God care for us it's, it's in one sense the most fundamental question about human identity, even more fundamental than the question we typically think of when we think of human identity. When we think of human identity, we typically think about personal identity. Who am I? But even more fundamental than that is this question, what am I? What is man that you're mindful of him? And God, answer, God gives an answer to this question at the very beginning of Scripture, the beginning of the Bible, right after Adam and Eve rose up in rebellion in attempt to become gods, to replace God in a sense. God put Adam in his place reminding him of his substance apart from God, what he's really made of. In announcing the consequences of sin, he answers this question, what is man? He says this, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From dust to dust. What does it mean to be from the dust? In one sense, this is an obvious figure of speech. It's a metaphor that's intended to remind us of our mortality. From dust you came, and to dust you shall return. And that's how David himself would later describe it in Psalm 103. He says, for the Lord knows our frame. In other words, what delimits our life, our container, our beginning and our end. He says that he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in a field and then withers. So in one sense, it is this metaphor about our mortality. 
But in another sense, it's clear that God's not only speaking of dust as our origin and our end, from dust to dust, where we're coming from and where we're going to. He's speaking of dust as our substance. What is man? It's our material substance. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. Before death even entered the picture, we're told, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. What is man? Man is dust. For thousands of years, humans thought that surely there was something unique about us that distinguishes us from all other creatures, something unique in the substance of our very being at even a material level. We must be made of some elemental substance that differentiates us from the rest of creation, that makes us distinct from the mountains and the trees and the stars and the scorpions. There's hydrogen atoms and helium atoms and carbon atoms that make up everything else, but there must be some kind of human atom some human substance that makes us unique to all other species. And it wasn't until the advent of the microscope and we could start actually looking at things more closely that we began to see the truth of our substance and realize that God was not just giving us a metaphor. He was being literal, that we really are dust. We're not just from the dust. We are the dust. We're made up of the same stuff that makes up everything else. We're just a special combination and arrangement of the same elements in the periodic table that makes up the rest of the stuff of the universe. When you break a man down to his material substance, he's made of the same stuff of mosquitoes and pond water. Men are made of dirt. Women, mud pies. Okay? What is man, David asks, Man is dust. You are dust, God says. So what's this mean then? Uh, not, not only that we're from the dust, but that we are the dust. Well, it depends on who you ask. The, uh, the famous atheist, Lawrence Krauss, reflects on this idea that we're made of the same stuff as everything else in the universe. And he, he turns to the universe with gratitude. He says this, Every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. The atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than the atoms in your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics, that you are all stardust. Not just dust, but stardust. You couldn't be here if the stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution and for life weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way for them to get into your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. So, he concludes, forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be born. Now, while this may be blasphemous, and it certainly is, I think it's too cheerful sounding. It's too optimistic if the fact is we are just dust, whether stardust or earth dust or otherwise. If that's the case, then there really is nothing poetic about life or meaningful about life, and certainly nothing redemptive about death. The philosopher John Paul Sartre gives us a more honest assessment After reflecting on the fact that in terms of our material substance, we're just dust. 
that we're no different than anything else, that we're no different than the unseen rock on a hillside never climbed, he says, or a rotting apple fallen from a tree never touched, he concludes despairingly, man is a useless passion. It is meaningless that we live and meaningless that we die. So what do we make of this problem, this puzzle? That not only do modern atheists and scientists declare that we're merely dust, and philosophers point out the meaninglessness of the fact that we're dust, not only that, but that God has been saying this very thing from the very beginning. What is man? We are dust. But herein lies an answer to the puzzle, a solution to the problem. Because although scientists are right, you are dust. The most important thing about you is not what you are. It's whose you are. It's who you belong to. Yes, you are dust. But beloved, you are God's dust. You are God's dust. Treasure dust. Prize dust. You are beloved dust at that. You see, that's why David's question continued. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And he goes on and says, you made him a little lower than God. And you crowned him with glory and honor and gave him dominion over the works of your hands. You see, you are dust, but you are glorious dust, honorable dust, dust with dominion, dust. And the thing that makes you unique, that makes human beings unique, is infinitely greater than God using some special substance that distinguishes us from everything else, to make us different from everything else. You know what the, the special substance of creation of human beings is that makes us different? It's actually not a substance of creation at all. It's not a special substance. It's a special relationship. The Lord himself formed the man from the dust of the ground. And then it says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God exhales. We inhale. God exhales. We inhale. It's the image of an intimate relationship with our maker. That's what it means to be human. That's what makes human beings unique from all other creatures. It's to be the creature who lives in an intimate relationship with the living God. God exhales. You inhale. You are dust, but you are also breath. And not just your own breath, the breath of God. The dust of the earth, yes, but the breath of God also. You are God's dust, beloved dust, God's breath. So yes, as God says in Genesis 3, from dust you came to dust you shall return, God also says in Ecclesiastes 12, the dust returns from the ground which gave it, but the spirit returns to the God who gave it. And that means, beloved, dust of God, not only that is, life is not meaningless, but death is redemptive. The Spirit returns to the God who gave it. Indeed, God so loved the dust 
that he gave his only begotten son to become dust with us, to return to the dust for us so that we could be raised from the dust into eternal life with him. And he did it by restoring that eternal, intimate relationship with God that we were made for. As it says in John chapter 20, just a peek into what we're headed to ultimately at the end of this season. After Jesus was buried in the dust, three days later it says, Jesus came and stood among his disciples and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus exhaled. They inhaled. Jesus exhales. We inhale. It's like a scuba diver who rescues his friend through buddy breathing. His tank runs out of oxygen, and so he shares his oxygen from his own tank so until they can both rise to the service, surface back to the land of the, land of the living. Jesus drowned himself in the dust of this world to restore to us the breath of life, sending us the Holy Spirit, God's very breath, to share divine life with mortal dust until we all rise to the surface, back to the land of the living. So it's true. There's nothing special about you in terms of your material substance. You, like me, are a bunch of dirt balls, okay? I'll never say that again to you in a church service. And I'm, besides, I'm the dirtiest of all. I'm the chief among dirt balls, so, Okay. But it's not about what you are, it's about whose you are, about who you belong to. You are dust, but beloved, you are God's dust, and you belong to your creator, the maker of mud pies and dirt balls for his glory, infinitely treasured, intimately loved, and eternally redeemed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. To dust you shall return. Last year was my first time administering ashes at the Ash Wednesday service. My family background is low church, which means I steered clear of anything that smelled of Roman Catholicism growing up. Observe Ash Wednesday, and next thing you know, you'll be praying to Jesus' mom and lighting the fires of the next Inquisition. We wanted no part. My mom's there like, that's not fair. We wanted no part in extra-biblical man-made rituals, so we traded traditions of a thousand years for practices young enough to still get carted at the grocery store. The longer I live, though, the more I'm interested in finding pathways worn by godly men and women who have gone before, peoples whose lives we can take in in one whole, beginning, middle, end, and appreciate the outcome we see. I'm not looking to be impressed anymore. I'm looking for evidence that someone has been with Jesus. I found that many of the people I admire have used Ash Wednesday in the Lenten season to recenter their faith, to purify their hearts, and to draw near to Jesus. Ash Wednesday in Lent is a time of reflection, confession, and charity, and these things delight the heart of God. So, like any newbie, I researched what would be expected of me last year to administer the ashes 
the Ash Wednesday service. There are correct things to say. There is actually a correct finger to use. And there is a correct place to put the ashes. After a quick Google search, you too can become an expert at applying the ashes. So last year, I stood beside Jeremy and we applied the ashes together, which was quite the task because we didn't have enough ashes and Jeremy added too much water. So we were really working hard at it. One person after another, making sure we had spread out the ashes enough so everybody could get their ashes. Correct words, correct finger, correct placement, repeat. Correct words, correct finger, correct placement, repeat. And then all of a sudden, standing before me was my wife, confident and lovely, seven months pregnant with our little Evangeline, who's here today. And in her arms, she held Elliot. And in the way of a one-year-old, he appreciated the solemnity of the moment, ready to receive whatever gift his father would give him. I think of the way Isaac must have looked at Abraham on the summit of Mount Moriah, trusting whatever his father would give him. With them was my mother, who I have never known this world without. And Ash Wednesday was no longer about the correct words, the correct finger, and the correct placement of the ashes. In a moment, I understood that what I am doing and what I am saying, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to tell my wife whose womb is full of sweet Evangeline and whose arms are full of our beautiful son that she will return to dust. I do not want to tell my mother that she will not always be alive in my life and I'm repelled by the truth of what I am doing. Physically, I was repelled by what I had to do and yet that is the truth. From dust you have come and to dust you will return. This is what God spoke to Adam and Eve, specifically to Adam, as they were being removed from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.19, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. God's message to Adam can simply be said this way. Memento Marie. Remember that you will die. That literally literally is the shortening of what Jesus said to them. Remember that you now are dying. That's what he tells Adam as they're leaving. The story of Adam and Eve's removal from the garden is where we have to begin if we're going to understand Ash Wednesday. Memento Marie. What is God saying in this? Is he rubbing death in the face of Adam and Eve? He's removing them. Now is he rubbing it in their face like a parent who says to their child at their wit's end, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. It's kind of what it feels like. They're being removed from the garden. Adam, from dust you've come, and to dust you're now returning. But this is not God's heart to rub it in. God is not at his end. 
God is giving Adam and Eve an understanding of their new reality. Adam and Eve are dying. And God is saying, don't forget the truth of your mortality. You will want to pretend that this never happened as though you've not fallen from grace. You will go on acting as if you will live forever, that you are still Eden, that the world is still whole, that nothing is broken, that the relationship between you and I is still okay, but it's not okay. Remember, you are now dying. Memento Marie. This is the word of God to Adam. The word is both condemnation and the invitation to salvation. It condemns us because the truth is final and it's not negotiable. You will die, but it invigorates an immortal longing in the human soul that continues to echo as far back as Eden's paradise. The echo in our soul sounds louder and louder every time we dwell on our death, every time we memento Marie. Because we think and we feel, we know, we long that this cannot possibly be the end. This cannot possibly be the end. Eternal life is not something that we have to try to believe. If anything, we have tried so hard to dull the feeling and disbelieve the immortal longing that sounds every time we hear the flickering heartbeat of a child, every time we hear the slow breathing of someone on their deathbed, Memento Marie, we resonate with the teacher's teaching in Ecclesiastes, which is this. God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. The holy eternal longing opens the soul to the invitation of Ash Wednesday. We are beginning a story that demands resolution. The story begins here on Ash Wednesday in the book of Genesis, And this is the way Paul tells the story. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. We've been told that story. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. All of us must remember that from dust you came and to dust you will return. But that is not the end. Paul goes on to say that sin and death in all its fury and finality is really the only, only the preface to the story. The story is Easter and the story is life everlasting. And he writes this, for, in, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared to the result of one man's sin. You can't even compare in substance and glory, these two things, it's saying. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. You hear that? It said, and one sin brought death. But after all of that sin, it was one glorious payment that brought us life. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? For some, these ashes that we will share today remain condemnation. They are condemnation because all they are is a reminder to dust you will return. However, for some of you, they will see in these ashes a reminder of the invitation 
that you've received in God's gracious gift of eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when you feel the ashes placed on your forehead, your heart will say this, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Oh, where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law, but thanks be to God, he has given us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor, the actions you do as beautiful dust beloved by God, your labor is not in vain. I pray that someday us who get to live alongside you, live with you, can see your story beginning, middle, and end and just love what we see. Celebrate what we see. Glory in what we see because you took advantage of that gracious gift of God. What are these ashes to you today? When you feel them on your forehead, what are they to you? Are they a condemnation, a reminder of death or are they an invitation? Are they a reminder of eternal life, which is yours in Christ Jesus? So <clears throat> now we are going to take the opportunity to share in this together. There, there's going to be three lines here, and um, you can pick any line. There's somebody both from Crossroads and the Refuge in each line. So just you can choose any line you want. And when you walk down, Uh, Someone will place the dust on your forehead with the appropriate thumb, and they will say, from dust you have come into dust you'll return. And then we just want to invite you to sit back down, and and I really want you to consider that. Is this, does this feel like condemnation? Does this feel final? Or is this the invitation into life everlasting? Please join us in that. Please rise for your benediction. As you go this week, I want you to remember what you've already been told, that you are dust. Apart from God, you're only dust. But you're not apart from God. Because God became dust for us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us to the end. God with us in life, God with us in death, and therefore God with us in resurrection. Go in that grace. Amen? Amen.